The question is, are we eager for him to come? And I, I pray that we as a church family would continue to be a mission-driven church. Today, what we're studying is mission-driven church part three. Part three. Um, and hopefully by now you've been able to memorize that mission statement without looking on the inside cover of your bulletins. Can you say it with me? Our mission is to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his soon return. All right. Amen. It's okay to say that that's our church's mission, but really it's not our church's mission until it's your mission and my mission. Is it your mission to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now? Is, it, is that what drives you? Is that your passion? Is that the thing that you live for? You realize that this is your narrow vision focus. You want to reveal Jesus Christ because, because there's, there's many that need to be prepared for his soon return. So let's reveal Jesus Christ to the world now. We realized over the course of this series, uh, we've been just refreshing our mission, our target, our purpose, and really revealing Jesus Christ to the world out there, it really starts with revealing Jesus Christ through our relationships right here. And that's what we've been studying over the last few weeks, revealing Jesus Christ to the world. That revelation, the attractiveness and the appeal of that revelation, it directly corresponds to the quality of our relationships. So last time in part two of our series, we talked about practical ways to actually build relationships of confidence and of influence. And if you missed that, go ahead and go to our website. There might be some CDs in the back in the lobby. And um, just catch up on this series. Really, how can we reveal Jesus Christ to the world? That's, that's what we should be all about, individually, corporately. Everything that we do as a church, if it's not revealing Jesus, then why are we doing it, right? And so this, this ought to be what drives us. And now, as we get into part three, we're going to have a new focus, and we've been kind of zeroing in on our mission statement, and now guess what we're going to focus on? Our vision statement, all right? Our vision, that is, what do we really picture? What does it look like when we're faithfully revealing Jesus to the world? What is it, what do we see happening when our mission is truly being accomplished? That's what our vision statement is all about, and you can see it. Maybe you need some help and you need to open up into your bulletin. Our vision is to belong to Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I not saying it right? Uh-oh. To belong to Christ in a healthy church family where every member is valued and loved, thoroughly equipped, and joyfully involved in linking others to Christ. That's what we picture. And today and the next part of our series, we're going to kind of break this up into two and we're going to just take a look at what does it really look like? What do we see happening when we approach our relationships redemptively, when we really seek to reveal Jesus Christ? And so for this portion of the series, we're actually going to turn to a new book. We're going to turn to the book of Ephesians. But before we get there, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for the opportunity to, to gather around your word. We know, God, that you've blessed us just with the, the, the breath that we have in our lungs, the capacity even mentally to know you, to seek you. We don't want to take this privilege for granted. God, please, as we seek you in your word, as we seek to become the kind of church you've called us to be, I pray that you would really inspire and instruct. And if we need it, that you would challenge and counsel us. 
Oh God, please, speak to us through your word. You know the weakness of my own heart and mind, and I pray that in my weakness your strength would be made perfect. May your spirit truly speak. In Jesus' saving name, let the family say, Amen. Amen. All right, let's find the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. Ephesians is in the New Testament. If you know where the Gospels are, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then you've got a big book called Acts and Romans. It's followed by Corinthians 1 and 2, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Then you'll get to some smaller books, Galatians, and then Ephesians. We're going to Ephesians, and what we're going to do is we're actually just going to do a cursory overview of some of the broad themes in the early parts of Ephesians. And I'll tell you, I'll admit, this is, this is looking at Ephesians from a bird's eye view. This is, these are broad strokes. This in no way does justice to just sinking your teeth in verse by verse in Ephesians. Ephesians is so rich. It is so deep. Uh, and so what we're going to do today is we're just going to scratch the surface of some of the broad themes. And you know, when, when we think about Ephesians, obviously it's a letter that is written to the church in Ephesus, or at least the title indicates that it was addressed to Ephesus. What's probably more closer to the truth is that this letter was meant to be read by multiple congregations. It was probably a letter that was supposed to circuit throughout several congregations in Asia Minor, and it probably started with Ephesus, because Ephesus was kind of the, the hub, the epicenter, so to speak, of Christian activity during that time. And so it, it took on that title, F Ephesians. And so when we think about the church in Ephesus, you may remember some stories from the book of Acts. There was a time where Paul, he shows up to a town called Ephesus, and he finds 12 disciples. They hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Have you heard that story before? Paul encounters these guys. What? You guys haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit? And so he instructs them. He teaches them. He baptizes them once again. And it says that he spent two years training those disciples, in involving others into that mix. And by the end of two years, according to Acts chapter 19, verse 10, by the end of two years... All who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord. Whoa. Starts with 12. They're instructed in the word. And all the countryside hears the word of the Lord. In other words, what we're looking at when we're looking at the Ephesians is we're looking at a church that is mission-driven. Do, do you see what I'm saying? We're looking at a church that is seriously uh, revealing Jesus Christ to the world in their fullest capacity. And so, in this letter, as we're kind of studying through this letter, what we're going to find is we're going to find pointers to the things that Paul envisions and sees for the church that reveals Jesus. And as we see it for them, I pray that we'll see it for us. Is that okay? Yeah? All right, so today what we're going to see is the things that Paul envisions for the church that moves in mission. All right, so here we go. We're going to start with number one. In Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and if you're taking notes, uh, go ahead and write this one down. Envisioned experience number one. What does Paul envision for the church that's in mission? Number one, it's belonging to Jesus. Okay, belonging to Jesus. And let's read about it, how we pick this up. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Paul is basically singing a praise song here. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with how many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And Paul is blessing God. He is praising God. And there are several things that 
when he envisions belonging to Jesus, when he envisions what it means to be wrapped up in God's family, we're going to find in these few verses a list of assurances. So, assurance number one right here in verse three, every spiritual blessing, it's ours. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Do you believe that today? That there is no spiritual blessing that God cannot give you. That there is no spiritual blessing that God doesn't want to give you. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, there are lots of things in my life that I don't have right now. Well, maybe your lack of it is actually the blessing. (laughs) Every spiritual blessing, it's yours in Christ. It encompasses all. That's assurance number one. In verse four, he goes on, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God has chosen you. That's another assurance. When you're talking about what it means to belong to Jesus, you've been chosen. You've been picked. Maybe you remember those, those uh, recess days, those, play school, those, those playground days when you're picking teams and you knew what it was like to not be picked. God says, I've chosen you even before the creation of the world. And in verse 5, he adds to that, having predestined us to adoption as sons. So not just being chosen to be on his team, to be chosen to be his children. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So his arm wasn't twisted into it. Okay, I'll choose you. No, this is the good pleasure of his will. This is what brings a smile to his face. I want you. And in verse 6, this is how the New King James puts it to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which, so by the grace, he made us accepted in the beloved. Now maybe you're reading from a different translation, and you know I I was comparing this with other things like NIV and and things like that, and it, it, it doesn't quite capture the active movement of God to really just say, you're mine. The New King James, it says that he has made us accepted in the beloved. He's pursued us with grace. He's honored us with favor. He's compassed us about with respect and dignity. And he's done it in the beloved. Who is the beloved? His son, Jesus Christ. You know what that's reminiscent of? It's reminiscent of that voice that Jesus heard at his baptism. That when Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism in the Jordan River, he heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Some versions say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, just as surely as Jesus belongs to the Father, we belong to Jesus. You think Jesus ever doubts whether or not he's part of the heavenly family? In that same way, you have the assurance that in Christ, you belong to the heavenly family. You've been accepted in the beloved. And this acceptance and this belonging, these are precious commodities. Being accepted, being wanted, being a part of something. And it's, it's only when we don't have the security of acceptance it's only when we're, we feel like we're missing that, that comfort of belonging that we really know how significant that is. We derive so much personal significance from knowing that we are a part of something, anything, 
I mean, you see uh, people doing whatever it takes to get into this club or that gang or whatever. Why? Because there's a longing to belong. But Jesus says, you belong to something even greater than this world could ever offer. You belong to me. (laughs) We've been accepted in the beloved. And this acceptance is not because we're all that. This acceptance is by grace and grace alone. Now, what does this have to do with our mission, belonging to Jesus Christ? Let me say this. If Paul envisions the experience of belonging to Christ, if if Paul envisions the experience of belonging to Jesus as a result of revealing Jesus, then we should say this, that all we do as a church, all we do to reveal Jesus to the world right around us and beyond, should always, always make it as easy as possible for people to become sure that they are accepted in Christ. If there's ever anything that we do that ultimately leads people to wonder, how do I stand with Christ? Then that's something we need to adjust. And maybe it's something we need to repent of. Do you follow what I'm talking about? God has said, hey, look, you are accepted in the beloved. And so if there's a church that is carrying forward God's mission, Everything that church should do should lead and generate to this assurance that we've been accepted in Jesus Christ. This acceptance is serious business. If you flip over to chapter 2, this belonging to Jesus is so serious that Paul starts talking about belonging to Jesus in terms of of life and death. Notice in verse verse 4, the Bible says, this is chapter 2, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. If you're there, say amen. Okay, it says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were what? (laughs) Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. In other words, this belonging to Christ, it saved us from death and it gave us new life. Belonging to Christ is as serious as life and death. And so the question is, do you know whether you belong to Christ? The answer to that question is the difference between life and death. Do you know that you are Christ's and that he is yours? Maybe you're asking today, well, how how can I know? How can I be sure that I actually belong to Jesus? That I'm accepted in the beloved? Let me say this, first and foremost... It is not about anything that you and I can do. Did you hear that? My acceptance with God has nothing to do with what I do. Look at it. Verse 8, verse 9. Actually, let's just keep reading. We we left off in verse 5. Let's keep going. Verse 6 and 7, it says, And he raised us up together. He made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, God wants us to be trophies of how good he can be to us. (laughs) Let me pour out so much grace on you that I can display you to the universe and say, look, this is how much I love. And it's not by anything we do. Verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of who? not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, 
lest anyone should boast. So friends, maybe you're asking the question, how can I belong to Christ? First answer is this. It's not about what you do. It's everything about what God does. Amen? Amen. So maybe you're, you're, you've been struggling personally, like, man, am, am I in? Am I out? <laughs> am I with him? Am I not with him? It's not about what you've done or can do. It's about what God does and is doing. By grace you've been saved. It's by every provision that he has made that he adopts us as his own. Remember what, what chapter 1 said, that he made us accepted in the beloved. This was his good pleasure from the very beginning to make us accepted. He makes us accepted. And so first and foremost, you're asking yourself, man, what, what do I do to belong to Jesus? First, trust what he has done. Trust what he has done. And let me also say this, let me also say this, that I think this idea of being accepted in the beloved and the, 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 the cross-reference it has to Jesus' baptism, I really think that Jesus' baptism is very instructive here. When Jesus was assured of his relation to God, it was at his baptism. What am I trying to say? Is it that baptism is some magical step that you can take to say, yeah, see, look, I'm accepted I'm accepted. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. But I believe that, be, that what baptism symbolizes, it's your death to the old and your resurrection to the new. The very things that Paul was just talking about in, in life and death terms, right? What baptism symbolizes, it, when we actually a, allow God to put to death the old, when we actually allow God to, to raise us up anew, we can we can attach a concrete symbol like baptism to our inward experience of surrender and trust. And when we attach that outward experience like baptism to that inward surrender and trust, then we have, oh, we have something concrete in history saying, look, that's when I told the world that I belong to Jesus. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yes or no? Yeah? It's a little, okay, sorry if that's a little bit profound or uh, just abstract there. But here's the point. Baptism is something that makes the abstract concrete. It's not that the waters of baptism are magical in the sense that they're, they're mystically saying, aha, now there's acceptance. No, but what the baptism symbolizes, your surrender to Jesus. That surrender is what causes you to belong to Jesus. Again, it's not what you've done. It's, it's surrendering and trusting what God has done. And in that moment, we are justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, uh, maybe I should insert this just now. Maybe you are personally, you're sensing God's invitation right now. It, maybe, maybe you've been thinking about this, how can I surrender? How can I make this surrender really, you know, real and concrete? And, and maybe you're actually desiring to put the old behind you, to resurrect to a new life. And if that's you, friend, the Holy Spirit is probably trying to connect some dots for you and say, oh, baptism, <laughs> that's the step. If baptism is something that, that you are seriously thinking about, maybe you haven't even thought about it until I just mentioned it. If baptism is something for you, then friends, let's talk, let's pray, and let's prepare for your baptism. Amen? For those of you who are actually thinking that through right now, you know, um, we, we have a couple of dates already on the calendar, the first Sabbath of October, the first Sabbath of January, if those are timelines that work for you, and you know that the Holy Spirit is leading you towards that, let's prepare. Let's prepare. The Holy Spirit wants to move you in that direction. Amen?
Okay, so envisioned experience number one, belonging to Christ. Belonging to Christ. This is what, uh, this is what Paul envisions for a church that is revealing Jesus. This is what, it will, ha- what will, it will accomplish when we reveal Jesus. It'll cause people to be sure that they belong to Christ. If you're taking notes, envisioned experience number two. Envisioned experience number two. Here it is. Belonging in a healthy church family. I'll say it again so you can write it down. Envisioned experience number two, it's belonging in a healthy church family. Why do I say this? Am I just contriving this based off of our, uh, of our vision statement? <laughs> I really believe that this is what Paul is envisioning. He, we've been kind of uh, ooing and aahing over God's grace here in chapter 2, but then if you just keep reading down chapter 2, verse 11... Notice the the turn, the shift in focus that Paul takes. Starting in verse 11, he's not just focusing on this vertical up and down connection, me and God. He is now focusing on this horizontal connection. Watch. Verse 11, chapter 2, it says this. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from what? From the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's reflecting upon a time in which these Gentiles, Gentiles is a term for non-Jews, He's reflecting upon a time in which these Gentiles were cut off from, not just from God, but they were cut off from what they perceive to be the family of God. There is a horizontal dynamic that that they were concerned with, but look in verse 13, it says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off, in other words, you who once were, were way at a distance, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. What is Paul saying? That the blood of Christ actually geographically moved their residential address from, from outside Jerusalem's borders to inside? Is that what it's saying? No. We're talking about a relational distance that was overcome by the blood of Jesus. Here's the thing. Having just had a fresh experience with a physical live birth, <laughs> babies are born into a family. This is what God has designed. Babies are not just born in a vacuum. Amen? Right. Okay, babies are born in a family in the same way. Spiritual birth. Someone who is being reborn, they are not born in a vacuum, but oftentimes they are. That cannot happen. It cannot happen here for someone to be born in a vacuum. They must be born in a church family, and I would qualify that a healthy church family. And when I say healthy church family, I'm not just talking about uh, they, they run five kilometers every day, you know, that they, they've got this cardiovascular, you know, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a physically fit church family, although that would be, you know, obviously an ideal thing. Amen. What I'm talking about, though, is healthy emotional interactions, relationally healthy, functional as opposed to dysfunctional. Amen. Amen. Friends, when we're revealing Jesus Christ to this world, people are going to belong to Christ. And belonging to Christ causes people to be reborn. But if we want people to be reborn, we can't just leave them at the doorstep of the hospital. 
Do you follow? We must be committed to not just allowing people, facilitating the rebirth experience, we must be committed to be the family in which they can grow. And so Paul, he's envisioning this, the very same thing, grace. It is so amazing that it reconciles us to God. It causes us to be reborn. It, 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 it transforms our vertical relationship with God, but it also radically transforms our horizontal relationship with the family. We now belong to Christ in a healthy church family. Wow, this is a powerful vision. And this is exactly, I mean, the alternative is hopeless. We read it in verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. If we leave reborn spiritual babies alone, they are without hope. They are without hope. Again, this belonging idea, it's a matter of life and death when it comes to belonging to Christ, but also belonging to a healthy church family. May we be on the side of life. Now, obviously, the Jew and Gentile history that, that is being referred to or implied in the, in the book of Ephesians, uh, this, this story is probably too deep to dive into right now, but just, uh, you know, the, the long and short of it is that over the centuries, there were barriers barrier upon barrier that was put up between us and them, you know? And, and those who were on the inside were totally comfortable with just being on the inside and keeping those on the outside just on the outside, literally. That in the temple of Jerusalem, at the time that this letter was written, the temple in Jerusalem actually had a wall of separation, a physical wall of separation where Gentiles would worship over here, but Jews could worship on the inner court. And so there was this, this designation, this distinction. It was very uh, ethnically driven, racially driven. And, you know, today we may not necessarily struggle with Jew and Gentile barriers, at least as prominently, but barriers still exist today. Do you know what I'm talking about, or am I the only one? <laughs> barriers still exist today, things that separate us from being concerned for others, things that separate us from, from demonstrating Christ-likeness to others. And these barriers are still very real, whether they be racial, political, social, economical, educational. Whatever the case might be, these barriers exist. Whether we've put words to them or not, these barriers are there. But when we reveal Jesus Christ, we will not build walls where Christ has torn them down. Amen. You know, Paul gets very, very uh, descriptive about this in the continuing verses. Chapter 2. We're still in chapter 2. In verse 14, it says, For he himself, speaking about Jesus, he himself is our peace. It's not just that Jesus gives peace. He is our peace. Who has made both, speaking about the, the Jew and Gentile camps, one on one side, one on the other, he has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Obviously a reference to that, that literal wall in the temple, but Paul is now applying it across the board. There's no separation because Jesus is our peace. And when we belong to him, guess who else we belong to? Each other. This is radical. 
This is what Paul is talking about. This is why he is singing this song about God's grace. And in verse 15, he's, he's continuing to give some theological meat to this. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, uh, that's a fancy word for hostility, the thing that rubbed against And it says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, the very things, the very ceremonial things that the Jews had said, okay, this is our stuff, so you can't participate in it. Those very things Jesus abolished, so as to create, notice the rest of verse 15, so as to create in himself one new man from the two. This, I mean, like, if there's a soundtrack to this, this is the dum-dum-bum. This is, he, he's basically saying, in Jesus, I mean, before Jesus, outside of Jesus, we've got Jew, Gentile, male, female, bond, slave, you know, free, whatever, all these classifications. But in Jesus, we have Christian. And that is a new humanity. blows up right in your face when you're like sensitive to the issues and this is in jesus in himself one new man from the two thus making peace this nearness that is brought to us by the blood of jesus it results in the creation of a new humanity that is to say that when you come to church you come into a new human experience. Did you know that? This is not just a routine social uh, you know, exercise. This is entering into a new humanity when we're truly revealing Jesus. Ah, but we know what it's like when we're not revealing Jesus, and we know what it's like to rub shoulders with, that's old humanity. But by the grace of God, when we reveal Jesus Christ, we actually invite, we, we actually allow people to, one, be assured of their belonging to Christ, but then, two, we swing the door wide open to people to experience a new kind of humanity. And it's found in genuine community. It's found in healthy, functional church family. This is what Paul sees. Do you see what Paul sees? <laughs> Do you see what we want to see here at Parkway? Is this what you want to see? This is what I long to see. And, 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 and the, the easy answer, there's no easy answer to it, but it is by the grace of Jesus. This is not something that you and I can manufacture. We can have all the socials in the world. We can have all the, the you know, small groups in the world. This is not something that you and I can make. It's something that is manufactured by the blood of Jesus alone. That's why it says, verse 13, we have been brought near by, by what? By the blood of Christ. Again, it's something only God can produce. The Christian community, therefore, is a product of God's amazing grace, not our charisma or charm, (laughs) because we we don't have enough of that to to make it happen. So what does this mean for our mission when we're revealing Jesus Christ to the world? We, it yields not only a changed vertical dynamic, but a radically different horizontal dynamic. When we're revealing Jesus Christ, what we envision is belonging to Jesus, 
in a healthy church family. You think about that when, when you think about the Garden of Eden. And at times in, uh, in the Garden of Eden, the very first introduction of rebellion against God, the very first introduction of the curse of sin, it ruined relationships on what kinds of levels? Adam and Eve, they were running from God. They, they feared him. They, sh- they were, felt shame. They felt disconnected, far from God. And you know what else? It ruined their relationships this way. She did it. He did it. And so what we're seeing here is that grace reverses the curse. God's amazing grace actually reverses the curse. And this is why Paul is so in awe of God's great grace. In chapter 3, when you flip the page, in chapter 3, he starts using some lingo. Man, chapter 3, we're we're not going to, again, we're just scratching the surface, just some broad strokes. But here in chapter 3, he actually starts calling this, this phenomenon of God bringing people together. He uses this word, and it's the word mystery. Have you heard that before? Have you heard Paul say that? The mystery of Christ. Let's see if we can catch it. Uh, it says here in verse 3, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And mystery, he's not just talking about some like, oh, uh, he did it in the ballroom with the wrench. No, not, not that kind of mystery, okay? Some of you know it. Not that kind of mystery to, you know, solve. It's a mystery, something that was formerly veiled is now being unveiled, okay? And that's what Paul is talking about. Oh man, this mystery that God actually foreordained that we would belong to Christ, not just Jews, but, but all of us. Amen. This mystery it's wide open to me now, and Paul is saying, I'm a minister of this mystery, and can't you see why I'm so excited about it? That's what chapter 3 is all about. And so in chapter 3, he, he begins to sing about this. He, he goes into this huge, huge song. And this may, may be something that we, we don't completely appreciate, this idea of, of God's church being a new humanity. Maybe it's something we don't appreciate, uh, A, because we're kind of far removed from the historical context, but B, because maybe we have no clue as to what a new humanity can actually feel like. We become so desensitized almost. Oh, this is normal. This is normal. This is no- dysfunction is normal. And maybe we just don't have any clue that there's something better. And that something better is in Christ. That when a community is actually in Christ, that community is a new kind of humanity. Wow. This is something that Paul is so, he's awestruck about. And then by the time you get to verse 14, he's probably realizing, he's coming to, and he's realizing these people probably don't get it. <laughs> and so in verse 14, you know what he does? He starts praying that they would get it. Look at it. Chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, again, this belonging to Christ, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, that you may be able to 
get some sort of glimpse, some sort of aha moment, the light bulb would turn on, that you would be able to comprehend what? According to verse 18. Be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length, notice the directions, and depth and height to know the love of Christ. He's going all directions, not just horizontal, but vertical. He, we don't get it. And Paul is praying that we would comprehend it. Don't you know that this grace does not just change your vertical relationship, it changes your horizontal relationships too. And so he's praying, oh, please, please know this. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And maybe he's thinking, he's just overwhelmed with the impossibility of actually grasping these things in and of ourselves. And so it says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Maybe there are some naysayers who are like, no, a new humanity, that's totally impossible. But there is one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Verse 21, To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul breathlessly, that's my song and I'm sticking to it. Right? This is the love of God. Do you see what I see? He's basically saying, let me pray that you would get it too. Would you like to experience what Paul envisions for the mission-driven church? To experience belonging to Christ. To experience belonging to Christ in a new kind of humanity, in a healthy church family. That's what Paul envisions. And it's not by anything we can manufacture or program or plan. It is only by the grace of Christ. So what's the practical takeaway? Put yourself under the fountain of God's grace. Be part of the realization of this vision. As long as you just remain and say, oh, that's nice, that's a nice thought. We'll let others take, I hope they, no, no, no. Put yourself under the fountain of God's grace and allow yourself, trust that you are actually made accepted in the beloved. Today, every day, Maybe for some of you, the practical takeaway is, how can I make that acceptance in the beloved more concrete? I need to be baptized. So we're going to talk after church. Maybe you need time to pray that through. I'd be happy to pray that through with you. We've got elders here who'd be happy to pray that through with you. Other practical takeaways here. Pray what Paul prays for the church. Maybe your practical takeaway is just to hang on to chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, and actually pray this every day, throughout the week. Take chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, put it on an index card, put it on your bathroom mirror. Lord, is it possible (laughs) that your love can change not just my relationship with you, but our relationship with the church? That we would become a healthy church family. When we get to part four of this series, we'll talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts, the emotional quality and the functional quality of this healthy church family. But until then, let's pray the prayer of Paul, that we would know width, length, height, depth, all the dimensions. 
of the love of Jesus. Is that a prayer you're willing to pray? Amen. 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 Let's bow our heads together as we do. Father, this is our longing. (laughs) When we read these things in Ephesians and when we see what you truly envision, what you truly picture, what your grace has made available, for some of us, this just seems like pie in the sky, wishful thinking, that storybook, fairy tale. But Lord, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. Lord, I pray that even right now in the midst of our, of our um, fast-moving thoughts and our silent prayers, Lord, we, we may be quicker to think about how others should hear this. But Lord, make us quick to come to our own knees and pray this prayer ourselves. Father, there are some who who seek so deeply to belong to Christ, and, and I pray, Lord, that you would give us the assurance of that belonging in the way that we need it. For some, it's a concrete assurance, maybe through the act of baptism, maybe through journaling, maybe through actually just just, uh, testifying about that to someone else. Lord, I pray also for those of us who are are seeking to know the love of Christ on a a horizontal level. God, this is is not something that that we are capable of in and of ourselves. I I pray even just now for, for households, where the love of Christ is put to the test every single moment of the day. And I pray, God, that in our households, we would know and reveal the love of Jesus. Lord, make us Christian in our hearts, make us Christian in our homes, and may we therefore become Christian in the church and in the world. Lord, we thank you so much that you envision such great things for us, You've accepted us in the beloved. You've made every spiritual blessing available to us. And Lord, today, as a church family, we're simply giving you the green light to go for it, to do whatever it takes to reveal your grace through us. We pray this in Jesus' saving name. Let the family say, amen.